Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today I'm going to be joined by Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast and John Boy Media to break down Quentin Grimes and R.J. Barrett's successes and struggles and whether they can be contributors to the New York Knicks in the playoffs. All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by ultimate basketball GM ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your basketball franchise. Then this game is definitely for you to download the game. Just visit ultimatebasketballgm.com or look it up on the app stores. Our listeners get a hundred percent free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on. That is all caps locked on in the game. And uh, well, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcasters, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And I want to thank you for making locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day because we are, uh, I say this every time, so you should know it. But in case you're new, uh, we're available at all platforms. That includes uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. And, of course, on YouTube. So if you haven't already, there's a YouTube subscription. Uh, hit that notifications bell so you never miss an episode. And uh, you won't miss special episodes like this one where I'm lucky enough to be joined by uh, Tom Piccolo. Anyone who follows Tom's work either on Twitter or on the Talking Nicks podcast knows that he is just flat out one of the smartest, most observant, um, and uh, just has a... a what the more I would say unique views um, on the Knicks and just find stuff that no one else does about them. And, and that comes in handy on this episode, talking about Quentin Grimes, talking about RJ Barrett, uh, breaking down their successes, uh, their struggles of late and uh, where it could uh, all end up in terms of their playoff minutes and for Quentin Grimes, uh, whether or not he's a long-term piece on this team. Um, so let's uh, without further ado, get into it with Tom Piccolo. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast and John Boy Media. Tom, last time you were on, we were singing the praises of RJ Barrett. Maybe if we had you on in the middle, there would have been a really critical pot in there, but we'll, we'll circle back on that. Where I want to start is Quentin Grimes, uh, someone you also wrote about recently in glowing terms. And, uh, like you, I absolutely love the guy. If you're just building like an archetype of of a player who is who is not a superstar, it would it would pretty much be Quentin Grimes. He's is my type of player to a T. Um, but since the Knicks have gotten Josh Hart, and since Emmanuel quickly has been on basically a, a twenty, really like a forty game heater, um, Quentin Grimes has seen his role decrease quite a bit. He's only averaged two and a half minutes in the fourth quarters of games over the Knicks last fourteen games. I guess this is this is kind of kind of uh, like big picture, but what have you seen from him in terms of his struggles, and where do you think he's he's maybe losing a little bit of trust from Tom Thibodeau, who, by all accounts, especially coming into this season, absolutely love the guy. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Gavin. I do appreciate that, and I would say that you know, Quentin Grimes is in a tough spot right now. He's his role has been reduced, as you said, and it just seems like to me he remains the best fit. With this starting lineup, I think that with the the shooting that he provides, um, it, it's it's unique compared to some of the other guys. Like, I mean, particularly Josh Hart and R.J. Barrett's three pointer has sort of left him recently. But if you even look since I want to say since the All Star break, um, 
Yeah, it, well, we'll just go since the Josh Hart acquisition. Quentin Grimes is shooting about 40% from three on 4.6 attempts per game. Granted, that, that number has decreased in, in you know recent games, just but that's more of a volume thing. And he's just really in, in a position where he's only touching the ball when he's expected to shoot or like do something dynamic with it. He's not, he's not like a part of the offense until the last second. You know what I mean? And it, it's kind of a hard position to be in for him where, you know, he only got up one shot, I think all last game uh, against the Timberwolves. And, you know, he made it, it was a three pointer. It, it was in a, it felt like a big moment that the Knicks needed him and he came up big. And I feel like he's done that a lot this season. Um, but you know, the role that he's in, it is, it's a tough spot to be in where you're just like, Hey, you're going to touch the ball once every few minutes. And when you do, you need to, you need to score it. Um, that's, and that's kind of been an issue on the offensive end is just not being as involved. I'm looking at his, uh, cleaning the glass usage stats here. He's his usage rate is 12.8%. That's in the 16th percentile among wings. And that's just sort of telling of, of what he's been asked to do on the offensive end. Um, on the defensive end, I think, you know, he's he's been asked to be the point of attack defender because uh, Thibodeau hasn't really trusted Jalen Brunson to be in that role. And I think probably for good reason. But that's why you'll see Quentin Grimes be starting on a guy like De'Aaron Fox or in the last game, uh, Mike Conley Jr. And that, you know, that's, again, a tough matchup for Quentin Grimes. He's he's a very good uh, perimeter defender. But those really quick guards, and Mike Conley, say what you will, he's still quick, still crafty. You know, that's still a tough matchup for him, right? Like you see him probably be more suited to defend, um, you know, shooting guards, smaller wings, players like that. Um, maybe your Bradley Beals or your, even your James Hardens. Um, I, I trust Quentin Grimes, but the, but the real quick guards, I think that's a struggle for him. So I just think in general, what he's being asked to do is asking a lot of a second-year player and – um, you know, even against Conley, we saw him, you know, go under multiple screens and, and concede three pointers there. And, you know, those are some mental mistakes that you see from young players sometimes. All that is to say, I'm not worried about Quentin Grimes. I think he's still a valuable piece. I think he's still a very necessary piece for this specific Knicks squad. And I would like to see him get more reps in crunch time because I wrote in that piece that you mentioned for Knicks Film School that at the time he had the best three-point shooting percentage in crunch time in the entire league among guys of a certain volume. So he's come up big for the team before, and I, I hope we get to see him do it again. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you in that. I think it is probably mostly out of his control, the ways that he is struggling as of now. And we saw Cam Reddish I, I, whenever, whenever the Knicks played Portland about, about a week ago, it all, it all blends together at this point. Um, he, he had a quote where he was like, I, I was, I felt like I was expected in New York to, to make every shot I took. And if I didn't, then I, I was getting yanked out of the game. And I know I wasn't the only one who felt that way. That's a, that's a paraphrase. And and when I read that, that, that screamed, all right, Obi Toppin, because to me, that's, that's kind of been the story of Obi's career, right? Like he better, better be hot from three or he has no value. And it's like, yeah, it was, that's not really his main skill set. And and now it feels like Grimes has, has kind of rapidly fallen into that role too, particularly in regard to his second quarter minutes and his fourth quarter minutes. He's going to get that stint in the first quarter. He's going to get that stint in the third quarter, but if he's not cooking and if he's not cooking, like, all right, one of his first two shots from three go in, there isn't really much of an opportunity for him to find that rhythm and hit that stride. And that is a very difficult position to be in. And it's one, I, I think we saw Emmanuel quickly in his second year face a lot where 
Um, and, and even early in this season where he, it didn't really seem like he knew what the expectation was for him when he went into games. And this is an area where, and, and it's hard to say when you're not inside the locker room, but just, just based on, on watching it, I feel like Tom Thibodeau could get better to have like a very clear delineation because where Grimes was really finding success earlier this year was, was of course in his shooting, but also in his ability to attack closeouts and be a playmaker off of closeouts. But I think, there's there's that sense in the back of his head all right if i miss a shot i'm going to get punished for it and we've seen him this is something i'm our, our friend benji ridholtz I, I've, I've seen bring up like he's driving to pass a lot of time instead of driving to score and often when you're driving to pass those passing angles start to get cut off because defenses recognize that but i guess just what have you seen um particularly in terms of him attacking closeouts which was such a great skill and i know something you, you've appreciated in the past about him and, and just where his mindset is and maybe how it's affected by that that mentality and, and that that feeling that I better make shots. If not, I'm not going to play. Yeah, I think that that's that's a huge issue on the on the offensive side of the ball, and I think it has affected probably his confidence. Uh, the one play that stood out to me in this last game against the Timberwolves was he had it on kind of a fast break situation, and he frankly looked lost. Like he was dribbling up the court, he had multiple options on either wing, and he just was kind of overwhelmed by the the choices. Like he hadn't had to make a decision in a while with the ball in his hands. And he just sort of picked up his dribble and, and pivoted around and, and completely, you know, the, the fast break opportunity went away. And um, it was that was sort of indicative to me of where he's at, maybe a little too much in his head offensively. But when he's just playing in the flow of the offense, we're still seeing him attack closeouts. He's, he's done that in recent games. He's still very good at that. And, you know, his, uh, his efficiency around the rim remains very good when he does get the opportunity to, to take a shot there. It's just I, I – you know, I, I think that guys like Jalen Brunson and like Julius Randle and like RJ Barrett can do a better job of finding him. Um, you know, there was a, a play, I'll, I'll go back to this last game in Minnesota, where RJ, you know, Julius Randle made a nice cut. RJ hit him and, and Randle kind of caught the ball with Rudy Gobert in front of him and Mike Conley digging down. And it was a wide open pass to, to Quentin Grimes on the wing and Randall just didn't find him. He pivoted away from him and threw it, you know, it got tipped out of bounds and it was still Nick's ball, but it's just, it's examples like that. And it's like, you got to find your best shooter when he's open. And I don't think that's been a priority for this offense. I, I do think it's on sure the coach on Tibbs and also on the players to do a better job of just finding him. Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be a long-term difficulty for the Knicks if they keep Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett on this team indefinitely where you have two guys like that. And, and we can talk about in a second, R.J. is getting a little bit better about this. Randle's certainly gotten better about this, but still just aren't super quick processors and almost need to see something for two seconds to confirm it's real and be like, oh, Quinton's open. And be like, oh, wait, Quinton's open. And then in, in the NBA, a lot of times it's too late. Um, yeah, and I don't want to absolve uh, Jalen Brunson either. Like he's been awesome. Like, yeah, Jalen Brunson is one of my favorite players to watch, and he is incredible and incredibly efficient at, at getting himself a bucket. But I do think that there's room for improvement in in finding guys on the perimeter like Quentin Grimes. I, I think that that would be one area to point to, and I have no doubts that Brunson can do that. I just think he's another guy who I, I'd uh, I'd mention in that same conversation. Yeah, I think I I think I excuse it with him, but you can almost like I'm sure like me, you played tons of pickup basketball in your life and, and you get a it was Bill Simmons would always term it a pickup mellow and like a guy who shoots all the time, but it just it just keeps going in and you keep winning games and you're like, All right, we're winning. I guess I'm having right. fun. But then but on some level you you want to touch everyone wants to touch the basketball, everyone wants to feel the basketball. And and if, I mean to Quinn's credit, I I really haven't seen it affect his defensive effort, but it would be natural if he had been at like two percent five percent seven percent like dimmed what he does on that end of the floor 
And I, I think, I mean, part of the real shame of it for me is that I, I think what impressed me the most about him early this year was just like how incredible of an athlete he is, both in terms of his, his burst in beating closeouts and then his ability to hang and hit through contact, like his borderline dunking on people early in the year. And I think that has gone missing a little bit. Um, Tom, I, I want to get your, your thoughts on him long-term, uh, but first we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk Quentin Grimes' long-term future on the Knicks. All right, guys, I am really geeked out by our new partner and the sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game, Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your basketball franchise? Well, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of a season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and playable online, play on the go, or as you want and when you want to. And guys, we, we've gotten to play this in our lockdown group. We actually got, we got offered a prize if we win. So me and Alex have been competing against each other. And what I really like about it um, is that it feels very realistic. Look, I played some of these games um, before and they don't really like you don't really get to the nuance of it, but if you ever played, I, I mean, for me, I, I know some of you are probably 2K guys. I was an NBA Live guy, guy growing up, and my favorite part of the game was Dynasty mode and making the moves, making the trades. Um, but with this one, there's an added degree of difficulty, but um, it's just the right amount that you really get to enjoy it. Uh, Locked On Knicks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo Locked On in the game store, so make sure to check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code, or look it up on the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. All right, we're back uh, with Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast and John Boy Media. So Josh Hart, uh, everyone loves him, rightfully. Uh, Emmanuel quickly. People love him even more than Josh Hart. Uh, both seem like guys that in quickly's case going to get extension. Uh, Josh Hart going to get a new contract this summer. And I guess given those two filling out a significant portion of the Knicks wing depth, obviously RJ Barrett's going to be a part of that. Um, Jalen Brunson at the guard position. Um, you clearly have a spot for Quentin Grimes, but when you look at how much he could potentially be worth, down the road as, as every team in the league is looking for three and D plus wings, right? Three and D with like a little creation, a little bit of passing chops, a little bit of athleticism around the rim. Do you think the Knicks maybe read the tea leaves there and, and maybe not as soon as this off season, but a little bit down the road on the back line, he's like pointing out rotations, telling guys where to be. He's making all these different reads and he, he talks and communicates so much. I think you lose some of that value when he's, at the head of the snake there. Cause he can't see everything that's going on behind him. Mm. And, and that's just so much of where his value is. I like him much better kind of roving off ball, which is tricky because he's not a big guy, you know? So like, usually you think of those, those kind of roving off ball players as, as bigger guys, you know, but um, quickly has shown the ability to even protect the rim. In some cases I've, I've tweeted about that a few times, but he had one, he had one the other night on Gobert. Where he, forced uh, he did. He did indeed. Yeah. And um yeah, he's, he remains very good at that. So that's my one worry with him. And like, you know, sometimes he gets a little, he can get caught on screens. It's, it's really for me, like if, if you need someone to come in and shut down a ball handler, it's, it's Deuce McBride in spot minutes. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that, you know, brings the rotation to 10 players and can get a little tricky. But Josh Hart, that's a real struggle for him. That's not his strength is, is chasing around, you know, guys like De'Aaron Fox. And um, I think, 
he was who was he he was chasing around Jamal Murray mm. and that's just that's tough for him man that's asking a lot of Josh Hart and I, I think that um you know his talents are better served in other in other areas so yeah I, I to your original question of Quentin Grimes though I do think that just between his shooting and his perimeter defense he should be a a long-term piece that's not to say he can't be traded you know things change so quickly in this league but um, just given the fit of everyone else, of, of R.J. Barrett with his struggling shooting, Josh Hart with his, you know, kind of reticence to shoot the ball frequently, uh, you need someone who's willing to pull, and that's going to be Quentin Grimes. And then how do you think his his playoff role shapes up? Because obviously Tom Thibodeau, um, a guy who loves loves consolidation, right? And 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 he has his bunker guys, and and the further you get in the playoffs, I mean, this is this is true, not just for Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks, but for every team. Um, kind of the tighter your rotation gets. But for the Knicks, I mean, whatever their first round series is, whether that's the Cavs or the Sixers, that sort of is their Super Bowl. And at least in terms of top, top, top end talent, they're probably outmatched neither of those series, less so against Cleveland than against Philly. But do you think Grimes is someone that has Tibbs' trust and and maybe even in a, in a more elevated way with the necessity of, of guarding, a, again, not an ideal matchup for him, a, a Donovan Mitchell type of guy, or even more so if, like, it, it doesn't really look like it at this point, but if they somehow end up playing Philly like a James Harden type of guy. You know, and that's what's a funny thing about, uh, you know, a coach like Tom Thibodeau is that it, it feels sometimes like he coaches games like their playoffs. <laughs> like, he doesn't really treat the regular season that differently. Um, we saw a couple years back, it wasn't until the Knicks team was like their backs were up against the wall that we saw that change with Alfred Payton being removed from the starting lineup. But for the most part, like things didn't change that much. The team was struggling. Derek Rose probably saw more minutes in that um, matchup against Atlanta. But, you know, right now, Quentin Grimes has been averaging 20 to 25 minutes recently. I could see that remaining the same um, throughout the playoffs. It is, it probably could be a little matchup dependent, whether you're throwing uh, Grimes, you, you can't really hide any of the backcourt guys against Cleveland because you've got Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell there. Um, you know, pick or poison as far as where you're putting Jalen Brunson. But at some point, like, you're going to need to have to trust Brunson to, to pick it up and, like, compete on the defensive end. And I think he's capable of doing that. Um, it's just he's, he's also carrying a large burden on the offensive end, and his size limitations make it a, a challenge for him. But we saw, we, we've seen many times that big wings can just, if you're trying to hide Jalen Brunson on a big wing, that comes with its own challenges. I mean, Torian Prince aside, but th there are a lot of other examples where like bigger guys can grab offensive boards over Brunson or, or just shoot over the top of them. And so sometimes you're, you're going to have to trust Brunson to guard point guards. And, and that's going to have to, you're going to have to live with that and trust your, trust your defensive rotations. Cause that's kind of, you know, this Knicks team, I think, I don't know if it's still top five in offensive rating. I still think, I think part of that is sustainable because we have great shot makers, but I still think that if this team has any chance of making noise in the playoffs. It's going to have to be because of improvements made on the defensive end and guys. And we saw against Minnesota that there didn't seem to be a lot of trust in that particular game. Like we've seen a lot of trust recently guys trusting that the, the rotations are going to be there, that the help defense is going to be there it seemed like in Minnesota, against Minnesota, there were just a lot of guys trying to make hero plays like Mitchell Robinson, jumping out of position quickly biting on, on pump fakes and trying to block threes and just kind of uncharacteristic mistakes. I don't know if these were just mental errors, but the defense is what I'm going to be looking for for the rest of this season to be cleaned up 
that the rotations need to be there and there needs to be just cohesiveness on that end. If this team really wants to, to do anything in the playoffs. And a, a guy that a lot of that responsibility will fall onto and, and I think could see his role significantly cut in the playoffs if things aren't going well is RJ Barrett. But we'll talk about that in just a sec on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, it's that time of year. March Madness, the NCAA tournament is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. These new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Its bonus is back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Um, I would like to put some money down on the Knicks money line. Um Heading into tomorrow's game, I, I just think we are going to get a team uh, out for vengeance, and I think I think they are going to have one of their signature performances of the season. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So, for example, you could take Emmanuel quickly over on made threes. Um, Aaron Rodgers traded to the Jets by this date. A Knicks win, and uh, let's just say the Alabama Crimson Tide winning the national championship. That's a fun one, though. It probably have a pretty sweet payout. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, back with Tom Piccolo. Um, Tom, you uh, you also you, you love Quentin Grimes. You love R.J. Barrett. Um, and you, you wrote an incredible piece about him over the summer. We had you on the podcast. We talked about it. It was it was a whole lot of fun. It was all about um, um, him deserving a bit more respect uh, for being a human bowling ball who, who wills himself to the rim over and over and over again. And, and the great news for the Knicks is post-All-Star break, he has been finishing uh, much better when he gets there. He's 57% at the rim pre-All-Star break, no doubt uh, dragged down by just a horrific start to the year in all facets. Um, he's up to 64% at the rim in his last 14 games. Um, what, what have you seen from him, um, and, and what do you think accounts for that upwards trajectory? I mean, some of it I, I have to think is just like a reversion to how good he actually is. I mean, he, he was playing uncommonly bad at the beginning of the season. Um, he, you know, he wasn't ever like the, the paragon of, of efficiency by any means, but he was – you know, given his strides over the, over the years, he wasn't as bad as we were seeing. I don't know what was going on in terms of whether, you know, I don't want to speculate about injuries. I know a lot of people think that he gained too much muscle and it slowed him down. That just a, an all around smarter player. Um, he, and he's, and he does look more explosive. I, I did tweet something about, you know, when he beat Aaron Gordon, it was without us. He, he beat Aaron Gordon off the dribble in isolation no screen. Granted, Aaron Gordon is a power forward. You would hope that RJ could, but he's also Aaron Gordon, like the, you know, who should have been the dunk champion, Aaron Gordon, who's a freak athlete. And RJ made him look slow on this one play. And it was like, it was pretty eye opening for me that he has that in him. And, I, and I'm hoping that we're going to see more of that kind of explosiveness going forward. Yeah, I I mean, to, to your point, I look at that last Celtics win and he had um, a, a one play sequence where he twice like got great contests on Jason Tatum at the rim, forced to miss, grabbed the rebound coast to coast right at Jalen Brown, who who is not a power forward and is also a freak athlete. And, and RJ just muscled right through him. And and one of the the great things about getting Josh Hart, right, is, is the north south verve that he brings to the Knicks. And, and in a lot of the same ways that Derrick Rose transformed the team with that quality two years ago, I think Hart's been doing that too. 
Um, and I think I think that's going to continue for hard come playoff time. But obviously, he's never going to do that on high volume. He's not going to do it in the half court unless he has a mismatch. RJ is sort of that guy for the Knicks. And I, I think that is particularly essential. Like when you get to the playoffs and, and you need a, a tough basket and and obviously like analytics, uh, analytically inclined people, maybe is the right way to say it. like like scoff at like at like Hooper culture and like, yeah, you know, he's just going to get a bucket. Right. And then that's that's kind of been maybe maybe the people who've always been high on RJ. Like I'm like, oh, God, you know, his, his true shooting is like fifth percent on the league. I'm like, yeah, but he's tough. He's really tough going to the rim. Um, yeah. I think you. I think there is some merit to that, even if I can't put numbers on it, just in the fact that he can roll through people. And I think that is maybe what you were getting at in your piece about him this summer. And I think in the playoffs, like obviously um, two years ago, he wasn't really ready for that stage for that moment. I think we could see an RJ who could have some big games, could have some big moments. And I, I think for the Knicks, it, it's it's almost more so about, all right, will he be doing the other stuff, well, and that falls into two categories for me, his distribution and his defense. And I, I want to start with his his distribution because I don't think he's evolved into the passer. I, I hoped he would be when he was when he was a rookie and he showed some really good flashes and he showed some great flashes at Duke and at Montbird. But he is getting better at making the simple play when over and over again. I mean, you could have you could put together a 10 minute video of his teammates jumping up and down. Obi Toppin in particular in frustration when he missed them wide open. And that still happens once or, or twice a game, which is one or two times too many. But um, I'm seeing him just make really simple passes more often. And I think that pays so many dividends because that's one play where he's not taking a terrible shot and missing a terrible shot. And it's also one play where his, his teammates don't hate his guts. But, but what have you seen from him in that facet of the game? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest thing with RJ does come down to decision-making and, you know, there, there was a, a play against Minnesota where he did, you know, drive one on four, in transition and there was really no opportunity for him to get a good look. And I think it resulted in either a turnover or just a missed shot or a bad shot. And those are the, those are the plays that drive you crazy as an RJ Barrett fan, because if he just can cut those out consistently and just make the simple smart plays um, he's, he's a very effective player and he's the player that this team needs so desperately. So, you know, he, I think you're right to say that he's been making that simple play more often. He had a nice, um, kick out assist against Minnesota. It was, I mean, it's one you wouldn't even like clip in a, in a high, as a highlight, you know, it's just, it looks so basic, but those are the kind of little wins that you have to take with it, with a player like RJ who can do so much else, but you know, you just want to see him consistently make the right play. Um, he had one kind of more, what I felt was like a more spectacular pass. And the fact he has these kinds of plays in his bag, um, it makes you a little frustrated when he doesn't make him, but he had a really nice play coming off a of pick and roll. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein sent him a, a screen at the top of the key. And he, he like kind of looked off the defense. Um, I think it was Jordan McLaughlin was guarding Emmanuel quickly in the corner. And RJ looked at, at Hartenstein rolling and that forced McLaughlin to like come down into the paint. And then RJ just threw like a pretty nasty, you know, skip pass to quickly in the corner. He, uh, he did a little fake no look thing at the end. And it resulted in not an assist, but uh, McLaughlin had to run out and he fouled quickly on the three, quickly hit all three free throws. So it was a, it was three points, but um, but nothing in the box score. And so I think you know, you're starting to see more stuff like that. They, maybe you won't notice if you're just checking out the numbers, but if you were watching him play, you are starting to see some of that development and growth from from RJ.
And, and then I think, um, and, and that I, I actually saw that play on your Twitter, and it was it was a great one. And you, you love those, and you love um, whenever he drives baseline, and he's looking to either throw it like to the opposite corner or sling it back up top. Like I, I think those are the situations where he he enjoys passing and he enjoys the flash of it. And, and it's probably just been a, a chore for Tibbs to drill into him. Like, yeah, but like you, you kind of, you make your money and we make our money when, when you're just getting into the lane, drawing two guys, just throwing it to Julius at the elbow open for three and to his credit, he's, he's, he's doing both those things. And, and you just hope over time his game shifts more and more in that direction. But the, the other key element for him is, is obviously his defense and, and particularly in the playoffs, like, and, and this has been, pointed out to me before that at Tom Thibodeau's greater priority, like he's, he's always kind of deemed like th- this defensive first guy, but he usually cares more. So if someone can go and, and like have some verve offensively and can get to the rim almost more so than their defense. But in the playoffs if his defense is really bad. Like I could see him like one, not closing games, which we're already seeing a lot of times. Like I mean, even, even against Minnesota, I thought he was playing pretty decently and, and he didn't, he didn't get to close um, that game because his, his defense uh, presumably was, was deemed not good enough. And I sometimes wonder if we're totally fair critiquing him because he is in some ways such a good athlete offensively. I, I'm i curious what you think about this. I don't always think his physical traits translate that well defensively. And sometimes I see him like making the right read defensively um, and, and acting pretty quickly on it. But he's just kind of slow and kind of heavy footed sometimes when, he, when he's coming from a stand still closing out um, and making the and, and I guess just executing defensively. But what do you? How do you think that translates into the playoffs? And 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 maybe against the Cleveland, if he if he's just all right, you're on Isaac Okoro duty. It doesn't matter. But to your point on Jalen Brunson, like he's probably not going to be on Isaac Okoro duty if those two are on the court together. He's not he's not getting the worst matchup. Yeah, in in a situation like that where you're probably going with with Grimes on, you're probably going with Grimes on Garland and and then RJ on Donovan Mitchell potentially. And that I mean that's. That's just a tough matchup. That's a tough matchup for anyone. It's specifically a tough matchup for RJ. Um, I think the one thing RJ has going for him is his size and his strength. Like, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a strong dude and he can bully kind of, I mean, even someone like Quentin Grimes, potentially Donovan Mitchell could, you know, overpower in, in some, some ways that's not happening with RJ Barrett. Um, similarly, Emmanuel quickly is a smaller guy as a slighter frame. Um, so, so RJ has kind of an inherent tools that, you know, make him a better defender in certain matchups um, in certain situations. You know, it's plenty of caveats there. But I think that the one thing is like, you know, Josh Hart has sort of been penciled in as this, like always a starter. And I I don't know whether that should, I don't know whether that should be the case. Like he has been incredible. And I think that he has the, the ability to change the game and change the dynamic of this team when he comes in. But as far as closing games, um, you know, if RJ could just, first of all, if RJ could just find a little semblance of his three point stroke, then I think he'd have a strong argument for being in to close games often over Josh Hart. Um, but he hasn't been able to do that defensively Hart is a better all around defensive player, a better defensive rebounder, but again, he's being asked to guard at the point of attack. And that is not, he's not very good at that. Like I I honestly thought that Hart's game against Minnesota was probably his worst defensive game. I wasn't, I wasn't really impressed with what he was doing there. Um, And so like just to automatically close with him without really considering it or considering the alternatives is, um, you know, I don't know how that bodes for the playoffs. I think that, you know, I don't, 
I don't want to be in Tibbs' shoes. I think he has a really tough job deciding who among those four guys between Quickly, Grimes, Hart, and RJ should be in during crunch time. Um, yeah, don't envy that situation at all, but it's going to have to be a balance act. It's going to have to be a feel thing, matchups, how, how guys are playing. And, you know, RJ defensively, he's, um, to your point, he is, he can be slower. He can, he can miss reads. Um, but more often than not, he's getting to the right place. And I think it's not nearly as bad as at the beginning of the season when we saw him just not closing out with a hand up. I think that there's been an improvement there, more technically sound navigating screens. I've seen some highlights recently of him getting around screens in a way that we'd want him to. So, um, again, beginning of the season was really rough. And I think it's sort of like, it kind of tainted his perception among a lot of Knicks fans, but he's slowly progressing, getting better to where we need him to be. And as long as he's good for the playoffs, then I think he should be at least in the running to, to be closing games. All right. I, I feel like I've, I've maybe done you a, a disservice in forcing you into a little bit too much negativity when this is, this has been an incredibly positive Knicks season. So let, let's end on this. What, what's one thing uh, recently or, or could be throughout the season, like just like one little like small bit of minutia on the team that you've, you've really enjoyed either recently or, or just kind of throughout the whole season. You know, I've, uh, I've really been impressed with Isaiah Hartenstein. If we're talking, that's what know, I wanted you to say, because that, that's, that was my answer too. Yeah. It's a great answer. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's just, there was a time there at the beginning of the season when Hartenstein starting to feel a little unplayable and that the team would kind of fall apart whenever Mitch came out. Like we relied so heavily on Mitchell Robinson, who, you know, was playing well. And, and that was a, everyone was kind of, you know, applauding his contract and all that. But whenever he came out, everything fell apart. Hardenstein was not playing physically. He wasn't playing smart. He was not being used at all on the offensive end in a way that, that he probably should have been. And, and things just started to turn around. And I think it started with a mentality from him. I know that's kind of like, you know, tough to, to put a number on, but like he just started playing so much more physically getting defensive rebounds um, you know, protecting the rim and just being that kind of enforcer that he, that was just not even close to who he was at the beginning of the season. So it started with that. And I think that everything else has kind of flowed from there. And most recently on, on the offensive end in particular, I've really liked the way he's started to be used in the pick and roll. First of all, I think he is the team's best screen setter flat out. I think he's, it might not even be close he really has a – he's smart about flipping the screens. He's actually good about making contact. Uh, I love that about him. And he's been – the Knicks have actually been looking for him on the short roll. Like I, I know I just tweeted um, some numbers around his assist percentage. So before March 1st, this was 63 games played, Hartenstein had a 5.4% assist percentage, which is just you know pitifully low. That's just ridiculous. Um, since March 1st, in the 10 games since, it's it's more than doubled. It's at 11.2%. And you're seeing him used as, like, guys are hitting him on uh, in, in the, with pocket passes. Quickly he's doing it. We've seen the Josh Hart to Hartenstein connection. R.J. Barrett has been hitting him on the short roll, too, which has been really encouraging. And I think that, you know, when you're playing with someone like Mitchell Robinson, you, you develop habits, you know, especially over the years. And I, I want to say that, like, someone like RJ Barrett just wasn't really looking for um, looking for centers on the short roll. He was kind of, you know, conditioned to not look for that pass, 
But but over time, this trust has been built with Hartenstein. And now these guys know, oh, I can make this pass. And Hartenstein's going to make the right play more often than not um, when he has numbers. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's so important come playoff time, right? Because the Knicks nominally signed Isaiah Hartenstein for stylistic diversity, for for like a, a curveball relative to Mitch's fastball. And he was kind of just being forced to say, all right, you're like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tibbs called him Nerlens every day when he saw him <laughs> because that, that that's what he was forced to do. And that wasn't who he was. But for a guy who was by and large, I mean, a couple of weaknesses, but by and large an excellent defensive center with LA last year, like like there was just no force to his game at all. And I, I don't know what what clicked. I think it was that stretch where Mitch was hurt and it was like, all right, we're, we're relying on you. And at points, I mean, Jericho Sims was was the option over him. And then something like a, a, someone lit a fire under him. And since then, he has just been a monster. I mean, I, I go back to that Lakers game where he was locking up Anthony Davis. And I, I think had, um, if I remember the stat correctly, at that to that point, the single best defensive performance anyone's had against Anthony Davis the entire season. Um, he had the great block in the Denver game where Jeff Green tried to posterize him. Jeff Green's like 50 years old, but he's, he's st- still dunking on people. Not Isaiah Hardenstein. Um, you love the 60-foot bullet passes. And 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 to your point on, on the short rolls, it just it, it's kind of what we've talked about where I, I think as long as the Knicks um, have Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle as the core of their starting lineup, they're just never going to be that fun of a passing team. And and I'm, I'm sure you're similar to me on this. I, I grew up loving those like late or early 2010 Spurs teams. And like that is the kind of basketball I enjoy watching. And, and with Hartenstein, you, you get a little bit of that. And Josh Hart, too, both of them have that DNA that over and over and over again, they love making the extra pass. And you're seeing Hartenstein. I mean, he's just feeling himself. Like yesterday, he, he rolled down the middle, drew three guys, and then basically rotated 180 degrees to shoot out to Julius Randle. And then that's when Julius shot in for the dunk. And, and there was no one there because everyone everyone's heads were spinning um, from Isaiah Hartenstein. So I, I'm with you. I think I think that's a great choice. And he's he's brought me a lot of joy recently. And I think it's particularly important come playoff time that you have that in your bag when defenses tighten up. And I think the Knicks were hurt last time around against Atlanta by not having that kind of curveball and, and just everyone playing the exact same way um, because you need to win multiple ways in the playoffs. Um, but Tom, I've, I've taken up a, a, a ton of your time. Um, can you, can you tell everyone uh, one last time where they can find all your work? Yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. Um, you could also listen to me on talking Knicks. We're, uh, we're active on social media on Twitter at Talking Knicks and on Instagram as well. We share a lot of content there, breakdowns and highlights, things of that nature. So uh, yeah, no, definitely appreciate you having me on, Gavin, as always. And uh, no, I'm definitely excited to uh, see how this stretch run towards the playoffs unfolds and have to do this again sometime. Yeah, you know, whenever we get the playoff opponent, uh, we'll we'll have you right back on. Um, So thank you, Tom. Uh, Thank you for everyone who tuned in and uh, we'll be back uh, with a game recap. Uh, tomorrow unless I'm unless I've totally lost track of time but until next time uh, he's talking Gavin talk to you soon on locked on Knicks peace out like a, a, someone lit a fire under him and since then he has just been a monster I mean I, I go back to that Lakers game where he was locking up Anthony Davis and I, I think had um, if I remember the stat correctly at that to that point the single best defensive performance anyone's had against Anthony Davis the entire season um, he had the great block in the Denver game where Jeff Green tried to posterize him. Jeff Green's like 50 years old, but he's, he's still dunking on people. Not Isaiah Hardenstein. Um, you love the 60 foot bullet passes. And, and, and to your point on, on the short rolls, it just, it, it's kind of what we've talked about where I, I think as long as the Knicks um, have Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle as the core of their starting lineup, they're just never going to be that fun of a passing team. And, 
and I'm, I'm sure you're similar to me on this. I, I grew up loving those like late or, or early 2010 Spurs teams. And like, that is the kind of basketball I enjoy watching. And, and with Hartenstein, you, you get a little bit of that. And Josh Hart too, both of them have that DNA that over and over and over again, they love making the extra pass. And you're seeing Hartenstein. I mean, he's just feeling himself. Like yesterday, he, he rolled down the middle, drew three guys, and then basically rotated 180 degrees to shoot out to Julius Randle. And then that's when Julius shot in for the dunk. And, and there was no one there because everyone everyone's heads were spinning um, from Isaiah Hartenstein. So I, I'm with you. I think I think that's a great choice. And he's he's brought me a lot of joy recently. And I think it's particularly important come playoff time that you have that in your bag when defense is tightened up. And I think the Knicks were hurt last time around against Atlanta by not having that kind of curveball and, and just everyone playing the exact same way um, because you need to win multiple ways in the playoffs. Um, but Tom, I've, I've taken up a, a, a ton of your time. Um, can you, can you tell everyone uh, one last time where they can find all your work? Yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. Um, you could also listen to me on talking Knicks. We're, uh, we're active on social media on Twitter at talking Knicks and on Instagram as well. We share a lot of content there, breakdowns and highlights, things of that nature. So uh, yeah, no, definitely appreciate you having me on Gavin as always. And uh, no, I'm definitely excited to uh, see how this stretch run towards the playoffs unfolds and have to do this again sometime. Yeah, you know, whenever we get the playoff opponent, uh, we'll, we'll have you right back on. Um, so Beautiful. thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you for everyone who tuned in. And uh, we'll be back uh, with a game recap uh, tomorrow, unless I'm, unless I've totally lost track of time. But until next time, uh, he's Tom and Gavin. Talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks. Peace out. <laughs>